so good. Thank you, Gigi. I don't know where you are. I can't find you. There you are. Thanks so much, Gigi. Love you. Um, if we've not met before, my name is Jacob, and I just want to say, uh, whether it is your first time or your 100th time or whatever, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited that I um, get to be a part of what God is doing in this ministry, and I'm really excited that you are here to be a part of what God is doing in this ministry, and like he's doing it through you guys. And so like it's so cool to see you guys take your faith into action and be like Jesus for the people around you. And so thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited uh, about these next two weeks where we're talking about um, our new series, Let Love Lead. We're going to talk about servant leadership. Servant leadership. I think a lot of times we talk about serving, and you've heard us talk a lot about serving, actually, ever since kickoff. It's kind of like something we talk about almost every week. Uh, for the last month, all we did was talk about Serve Day. I'm sure you got tired of hearing us talk about Serve Day. Um, but we push serving so much because it's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. So one of our core values is serve others. And, and we say that our core values are things that we feel defined as uh, for our ministry, but it's also things that we are continuing to grow in. And so just because we say we are a serving student-led ministry does not mean that we have made it, does not mean that we have arrived, and does not mean that we don't have room to grow when it comes to serving. And so if you haven't noticed, we have students who lead worship, which is incredible. We have students who run really expensive tech equipment and program lights for us, which is not something a lot of churches let high schoolers do, which is crazy. Um, our students are running serve teams. Our students are hosting, which is way more entertaining than me or Rachel standing up here and talking at you more than we already do. And so like you get people like Noah and Faith who have way more personality and talk about raw tuna, which I would never do. So you get raw tuna content thanks to students serving. But like, we, we talk about serving a lot, but we don't really talk about leadership. And we, I don't think we've talked about servant leadership as a student ministry before. We've talked about it with our student serve team a lot over the years, but not in general with all of our students. And it always makes me laugh a little bit when I talk about leadership, because in fifth grade, my teachers had a parent-teacher conference with my parents, that's what a parent-teacher conference is, and they told my mom, your son has zero leadership capabilities. And like, one, brutal. Two, what was it, what did they want from me? I was a fifth grader, I just went to school and I did my work, did they, I wasn't like using my abilities to like lead revolts in class or anything, I just showed up and like, did what I was supposed to do. So I don't know what I did that like really like prompted them to be like, hey, I'm gonna ruin your day, this kid's mom. Like he is not a leader and never will be. And like for a long time, I believed them. Uh, especially because right after that was middle school and high school, I just did not think I was a leader. I didn't think I could be a leader because of what I thought a leader was. And I have a feeling a lot of you are limiting your abilities as a leader because you don't think you can lead. Or maybe someone's told you you can't lead. I know for me, like I thought leaders had power, I thought they had positions, and I thought they had like extreme influence. And I didn't feel like I had any of those things. And if I asked you guys, I would say you, most of you would probably agree that you are either not a leader or you're not a good leader. And that's because most of you agree that 
leaders need power or a position or influence. And, and when I was growing up, I didn't feel very powerful because everyone else told me what my week was going to look like. Five days out of the week, I'm at school, and teachers and faculty are telling me how to dress, how to act, what to do, when to do it, which classes to go to. I don't get to determine that. Even if you have meetings and you pick your schedules, like you still have to select from the list that they give you. You don't really have power over that. The first time I really like, felt like I had any power was when I got my driver's license, and I was like, cool, I can go wherever I want now. And then I still had like a curfew and limits because my parents have power over me. And when I'm at home, I have to live under their rules and do their chores, and I have to like, have the specific room that they give in me, which meant I had to share it with a younger sibling. And like, I wouldn't have chosen any of that, but they had power over me. And it didn't matter if I was in sports or at home or at school or at work, somebody had power over me and I never felt powerful. And so that alone made me feel disqualified as a leader. And I think for you guys, like the whole world is kind of operating in like, you have to wait until you're older to lead. And so you get robbed of the feeling that you have any sort of power. And then positionally, um, sort of in high school you start getting positions where you like can lead because you might lead a club you might be the captain of your sports team you might have a position at work that is slightly higher than some people but like that's a very limited number of you and so there's a large majority of you that are sitting and waiting and saying well once i have this role or once i have this job or once i leave and i'm this old and i'm i'm in college or whatever the position for you is that's when I can be a leader. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I feel called to ministry. When I get on stage, that's when I'll be a leader. And as someone who is currently standing on stage, holding the microphone and talking to you as my job, this does not make me a leader. And I'm glad that I figured out what a leader was before this because it would have been really crushing to find out that this wasn't leadership. And so some of you are waiting on a position or a time to be a leader, and you're limiting your leadership right now. And then I thought, gosh, I have no influence. I have like three friends, and even they don't really care about what I think. Like, none of them are like looking at my life being like, oh, that's cool that Jacob does that. I kind of want to do that too. I was always the person who was like, man, that's really cool. Let's do that thing. I was not the influencer. And social media super proved that to me. Like, I, like, was not popular uh, on social media. I had zero influencer abilities. I took stupid photos. I got, like, 12 likes on them. It was a whole thing. But, like, it was fine. But for you guys, like, you're growing up in a world where there's just already influencers. There's people that have millions of followers and get hundreds of thousands of likes, and they determine what you eat, what brands you get, um, what lingo, lingo, no, what like words you use, I don't know why I said lingo. Um, like these influencers determine so much about our lives because we just follow them and, and they have some sort of influence over us. It's like a weird that their title is what they do. Um, and so like, I remember really early, like my earliest memory of like a real true influencer was Emma Chamberlain. And like, especially when she first started, 
like so annoying. Oh man, um, love her now, but like so annoying. Uh, and I watched girls around me all of a sudden dressed super different, and they started saying really weird things that Emma Chamberlain would say, and they completely changed their diets because Emma Chamberlain tried a new hummus or whatever, and so like, it was insane. And now we have, look, I love Taylor Swift, okay? I do. I don't care if you don't, it's fine. Here's the thing, she has influence. She just got enough people to pay money they probably didn't have to sell out SoFi Stadium three nights in a row. That's nuts influence. And on top of that, on a lesser extent, I think this is really dumb, as much as I love Taylor Swift, I cannot believe that those specific beaded friendship bracelets are like back and a thing now. Like those are preschool crafts. And now it is like a symbol of like cute little like friendship or whatever. And it's like that trend died so long ago, but Taylor Swift decided it was back. And so now everyone is doing it again. And so like she has influence. And so for us, we look at people like that and we have no influence compared to that. And if you're honest, probably looking around and the very little influence you have does not feel like it's making that much of a difference. Like, yes, maybe your friends like the same thing you do, but okay, so what? Like, that's not leadership. And maybe your friend asks you for advice, but like, is that leadership? And, and if my influence is so small, how can I actually lead if there's no one around me that's following? And so we have this, this limiting view of leadership. And so it disqualifies us from being a leader in general. But what if that wasn't leadership? What if there was a different version that was more accessible and that wasn't about your power or your position or your influence? Because here's the thing, you are a leader. You are a leader. You have everything you need right now to lead, but not in the ways that we think leadership is. And so um, as Jesus starts becoming a, a thing, people are like, oh my gosh, there's these prophecies from uh, the Old Testament, and they all are pointing to this king that is going to come. And um, he's going to save Israel from all of their struggles and the oppression and all this stuff. And they were looking for a king that was going to conquer what was happening. Uh, they, they were looking for a guy who was going to come in and be like the other kings that had already existed. And kings, up until really recent history, were the de facto definition of a leader. They were people who had all the power, all the authority, and all the influence. And they would use that power and authority to command the people beneath them to make themselves better. So they would collect money from them, they would use them for labor to build their kingdom and expand, and they would just make their name greater because they were the leader and the other people beneath them were not. And so when Jesus comes as, this, as a king, which he is, people are expecting him to be like the kings before him. And those kings kind of are really similar to what we look at for different influencers today. Like we have star athletes and social media icons and musicians and actors, and we look at these people and they are always trying to make their name greater. They want to sell their stuff. They want to promote their brand. They want you to be a part of their thing and celebrating them and boosting their name. And this is what people were used to when it came 
to leadership. And Jesus came and showed us something different. He showed us a different way to lead that was more about serving. And so the passage I want to look at today is in John chapter 13. We're going to eventually go through uh, verses 1 through 17, but we're going to stop first at uh, the end of verse 12. So uh, this is Jesus at the Passover festival. So it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3 is going to be really important, so underline it in your Bible, write it in your notes. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, um, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Do you understand what Jesus had done for them? See, culturally, they had a person of very low status, usually like either a servant or a slave, who was responsible for washing people's feet before a meal. And the reason for that is because they lived in first century Middle East with unpaved roads and sandals as the only shoe of choice. And so as you walk in the desert, you kick up sand. And the other people around you, they kick up sand. And then it's hot. It's the desert. You're sweating. And when you sweat, your feet also sweat. And you're not wearing socks. And so what gets stuck to your feet? Sand and dirt. And it's gross. It's nasty. And now here's the thing. That wouldn't be such a big deal if they sat at tables like we did, where we had our feet tucked under, and we all shared a meal together, and it was really nice, and no one saw anything below our waist. But that's not how they ate. They had tables really low to the ground, and they would lounge like this, and they would eat off the table. And then the guy next to them, their feet would be right here. And so if you didn't wash your feet, you've got nasty feet right next to you as you're eating grapes and cheese, and your nasty feet are next to the other guy while he's eating whatever he's eating, and it's disgusting. And so they needed someone to wash feet. And so... The meal has already started when we pick up this passage. They are well into eating, and no one has washed their feet yet. And you can almost imagine the disciples are kind of like looking around, and they're like, well, I'm not going to be the one to wash feet. I'm too important. I'm with Jesus. So like, me and Jesus are real close. Uh, somebody else at the table can wash my feet. Uh, not going to be me. 
And certainly no one is expecting Jesus to be the one to wash feet because he's their teacher. He's their leader. He's the one with the authority. So if anything, it has to be one of the 12. One of them has to be the one to wash feet. And yet Jesus says, like he doesn't say, Jesus recognizes I have all power and authority right now. I have all power and authority. And in verse four, it says so, which is a transition statement that means because of what we just said, this happened. So because he had all power and authority, he took off his outer robe, which looked different than other people's because he was a teacher. So he had a robe that symbolized his position and his status. He took that off and set it down to put on a towel, the role of a servant. So he set aside his position, his authority, his power, his influence, and he picks up a towel and he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus sets an example of leadership that is messy, that is inconvenient, and that is not desirable. He sets an example for leadership that is messy, inconvenient, and not desirable. This is not what we think leadership is. We think leadership is glamorous and you have all these people surrounding you doing whatever you want whenever they want or at least like leading people in a direction that you think you should go. But leadership is messy. Leadership is inconvenient and it's not always desirable. He was doing something that no one else wanted to do when he washed their feet. And it was gross and it was certainly beneath the man who was going to die for their sins a mere few hours later. And yet this is what he did with his power and his authority in that moment. What if leadership wasn't about using your power and authority and influence for yourself, but it was about serving those around you? Now, why does he do this? All these people are about to betray him. One of them already has. He still washes their feet. The other people, it's their fault that he's here. It's our fault that he was there on earth in the first place. Our sin brought him to earth in the first place. And he was going to die in a few hours. And his last few hours on earth, he decides, I'm going to spend it washing their feet, the people who brought me here in the first place. That's nuts. Why does he do that? Well, he continues in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He acknowledges, I have the power. I have the position. I am the leader of all leaders. It's me. I'm recognizing that. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, your leader, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, Jesus is not doing this because he has to. Jesus is doing this to symbolize the very thing he's going to do in a few hours, which is die on the cross for them. 
him setting himself aside to wash their feet is a representation of him setting himself aside to die on the cross for them in just a few hours, knowing full well that they are going to abandon him, betray him, deny him, and like in general, be a bad friend to him. And yet, every single one of them, he washes their feet out of love. Just like he died for each and every one of you out of love, even though we didn't earn or deserve it, and he certainly shouldn't have been the one to pay the cost because he was perfect and we were not. He does it anyway because he loves us. And that's the key to servant leadership. Servant leadership is rooted in love. Servant leadership is rooted in love. See, both serving and leadership are way more about love than we often act on. A lot of us um, that are already on serve teams, it becomes real easy for it to be a routine and just show up when I'm needed and do what I gotta do and it's just a task. Or it becomes our whole identity. Like, I have to serve if I'm going to be who God created me to be. Like, if I'm not taking photos or if I'm not um, on the serve team helping set up or if I'm not in Beach Kids every Sunday, then my purpose is gone because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And we, we make serving somehow about us again. It's just another thing or it's like everything and we have to do it or we're missing something. We're not enough. And leadership has never seemed to be about love. Leadership has always been about what do I bring to the table? What can I do? Where can I lead people? But servant leadership is rooted in love. And here's the thing. Without love, it's just tasks. Without love, it's just authority. And what is, what is ultimately the point of that? Like, at some point, we lose a position or we lose influence. At some point, we are no longer in the role that we're in for serving, and somebody else is doing it. So it has to be for something greater than us, because if it's about us, we're super temporary. We don't last. And so without love, it's nothing. And this is echoed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You could have the best speaking voice and captivate everyone around when you talk. You could have the nicest words and most eloquent speech that compliments people, it lifts them up, it feels good to hear you talk. But if it's not out of love for the people around you, it's just noise. It's just noise. Continues in verse two, if I have a gift of prophecy, and faith that can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. You might have a bunch of gifts and skills and things that qualify you for positions, and you might do a lot of really cool things. You might know a lot of really cool things, maybe more than the other people around you. But a lot of times we put our value in the things that we are able to do, in the things that we are good at. And 1 Corinthians is saying, 
if those things aren't rooted in love, you are nothing. Like, your value cannot come from your gifts and your skills and your, like, uh, talents. That needs to be rooted in love. It cannot be to serve you. It cannot be to make yourself greater, or else it's nothing. And then in verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but I do not love, I gain nothing. There are so many of us, there's so many of us that our, our schedule is like filled with serve opportunities, or just a packed schedule in general, um, where on paper, it's like, oh my gosh, you're at church all the time. You're on student leadership. You take photos for Big Church. You take photos for United. Um, you're on the serve team. You're uh, the first one there. You're the last one to leave. And that's all awesome. But if it's not out of love, then what was it for? Just to fill your schedule? Just to feel good about what you were doing so you could say, look at how much I've done? You might have a schedule centered all around you and you're working so hard in school and your grades are top notch and you are like crushing it academically. What's it all for? What's it all for? Without love, we gain nothing. And so servant leadership is rooted in love. And if we are going to do what God has called us to do. Because in John chapter 13, he tells his disciples, I've set this example for you to do as well, for one another. So now that I have washed your feet, now that I have served you out of love, you should go and serve others out of love. That's the whole great commission, is go and make disciples. Go and interact with people in a way that points to Jesus so that they want a relationship with Jesus so that they will go tell other people about Jesus. That's our whole deal as Christians, which by the way, if you want a position that matters, God has trusted you to tell other people about him. What better position could you have in God's kingdom than to be the messenger of how good he is? And you've experienced his goodness. That's why you're here. Like you know how good life is with God. And so now you get to tell other people about him. That's that's the role, the position he's given you as a leader. But he's saying, do this the way I have done it, not the way the world is doing it. Do it out of love. And so we should let love lead. That's why we called the series, Let Love Lead. If we are going to serve and lead like Jesus did, we have to let love lead. We have to. Love should be the measure of how good of a leader we are. Love should be the measure of how um, impactful our serving is. Not how much it fills our schedule, not like how often we're doing it or how the level of what we're doing on a serve totem. Like it's, it's about love. It's about love. And so we can ask this question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Or you could ask, what's the most loving thing I could do right now? Because this question, if we asked ourselves this question like every five minutes, 
it would drastically change how we spent our time. Because when you're at home and you're asking, what does love require of me? It's not to isolate in my room while my parents make sure the house functions. It's not even just to do the bare minimum of what my parents have asked me to do. What love requires is that you set your preferences, your tiredness, your uh, desires aside to serve your parents who basically have centered their lives around making sure you have what you need and want. And I know it doesn't always feel that way as a student that your parents are doing everything they do for you. But like, do you think they're so stressed about work and money because like they just wanna be as rich as Bill Gates? No, they want you to be happy and healthy and survive and thrive. And we often treat our parents like crap because we're more concerned about what we don't have or doing what we don't wanna do than we are about loving our parents in an active, tangible way. And so if we asked, what does love require of me? It would change how we interact with our siblings. Our words would be different. Our interactions would be different because it is no longer like, I'm better than you or you're annoying. It's, I love you. And I'm gonna show you that through my actions. I'm gonna set myself aside to serve you. It would change school and our jobs because even if our classmates or our teachers or our boss and our coworkers are the worst people that we've ever met in our whole lives, love would require that we set our preferences aside and we serve them and maybe asking our coworker like, hey, what can I do to make your shift better right now? Like what, what's overwhelming you? How can I help? That's not how jobs work. Doing more work, that's crazy. You just do what you're supposed to do so you get paid and then you go home. Or asking your boss like, hey, what, what, where are the gaps right now? What's the position that nobody wants to fill? Fill it. Or at school, it's just doing what you're supposed to do and to the best of your ability, whether or not you agree with the teachers and the faculty and what they've asked of you to show them honor and respect for the position that they're in, whether or not you like that they're in that position in the first place, because love requires it. In your dating relationships, it would change a lot because love requires that your partner is not some object for your personal use. And so even though you really want to be physical and intimate with your partner, love requires that you honor them as a human being not an object. Love requires that you set aside your preferences for how you spend time together and you do the things that they wanna do. Love requires that it's not about you being right all the time. I'm so guilty of that one, oh my gosh, so bad. Love requires that you just shut up sometimes and just listen to your significant other what does love require of me right now? What is the most loving thing I could do right now? See, Jesus didn't sit in a tower like most kings and make commands of us and have us serve him. Even though, like Ashley said, he is holy and worthy. And if anyone deserves to be served, it is Jesus. It's all about him. Everything in here is about him. All of life as we've known, as we know it, is centered around Jesus. 
and yet he served us. He got down in the mess right next to us to say, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm gonna serve you. And so we can do that as well for the people around us, for those, whether they know Jesus already, whether they don't know Jesus yet. And that's the beautiful thing is we say all the time that serving is the most authentic expression of God's love for others because that's what he did for us. But a lot of times Christians find themselves in theological debate class where they just yell at people when they disagree. So they stand outside abortion clinics, they stand outside of mosques and they shame people for not believing what we believe, even though they don't believe what we believe. How is that communicating God's love to anyone? How is that, I mean, if somebody just yelled at you for 30 minutes a day about like, I don't even know, oh my gosh, I can't even think of a real example. If somebody just yelled at you for 30 minutes all day and they were like, you shouldn't use the Colgate toothpaste, you should use optic white, like you're wrong for using Colgate. Would you ever switch toothpaste? No, most of us would dig our heels and be like, I'm gonna use Colgate, obviously. Like, why would this, I'm not gonna listen to this person. This is so dumb. Like, I don't understand why we get so heated with people who don't believe what we believe. But then the other problem is the other half of us typically just shy away from talking about Jesus at all. When love requires that we share the love that Jesus has shown us. And so instead we, we get in this shell and we, we don't wanna, cross boundaries with people. We don't wanna step on someone's toes. We don't wanna make someone uncomfortable. So we're not gonna talk about, we're not gonna talk about faith. We're just not gonna do it. But if we're asking, what does love require? Love requires that we meet people where they're at. Love requires that we set ourselves aside to serve the people around us. And the best part is, it's not about how much you know. To lead in God's kingdom is not about how much you know. You don't have to have all of this memorized and figured out and have all the answers. It's about how much you care about the people around you. Um, something Pastor Jerry says all the time is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so as you go out and you serve and you love the people around you, they're gonna wanna know about the God that you know. They're gonna wanna know about the experiences that you've had with him. They're gonna wanna know about the love that he has shown you because you have been showing it to them the whole time. And so, so many of us have, have discounted ourselves as leaders in God's kingdom. We've limited what God can do in our lives because we thought we weren't leaders. We thought we didn't have what it took to do what he's called us to do. And the whole time he was just asking us to love the way that he loved us. And so this week, I'm gonna ask you to do that. I would hope it would last longer than the week, but this week specifically, I'm gonna challenge you. Every five minutes, you should ask yourself the question, what's the most loving thing I could do right now? What's the most loving thing I could do right now? What does love require of me? And it's gonna get real annoying to ask this question because you're gonna ask it and you're gonna be driving and there's no one around you. And you're gonna be like, what does this even mean? What does love require of me? Like, I haven't thought about this in three hours and now all of a sudden the question's back. And you're gonna to have to remember that even when you're driving and not having a conversation face-to-face -face with people, that love might require you to drive a lot differently than you drive or have conversations with people that you would never have conversations with because love requires it. Or maybe, maybe 
ask you to do something at the worst time possible. You're trying to get to class, you're trying to get started at work on your shift and love's gonna require you to do something that's super inconvenient and that does not fit in the schedule that you have for yourself that day. But what's the most loving thing that you could do in that moment? What does love require of you? And so as we go back into worship, I'm gonna pray for us this week. Um, but my challenge to you is this, don't just let this be a sermon where you hear interesting facts about scripture and about who God is. Like this should be something that we live out, not just hear about. This should be something that we are growing to be, not just something that we hear about on a Sunday night. And so this week, my challenge to you is every five minutes, maybe every 10, I don't know, whatever's more convenient for you, I guess. Every five to 10 minutes asking that question, what does love require of me? Because ultimately, you are a leader. You always have been. It was never about your power, your position, or your influence. God was just calling you to love all along. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your example of what it means to lead in your kingdom. Thank you that it's not about power because we have none. Thank you that it's not about a position because those are limited and temporary and there are very few times that we find ourselves in a position to do what we feel called to do. And I thank you that it wasn't about how much influence we had because so many of us would have been disqualified so long ago. Thank you that your leadership was about love, that it was about setting ourselves aside for the people around us. God, I pray for our students and our leaders that this week would feel different for the people that they interact with because they are seeking to chase after your love and letting love be the thing that leads them this week, not their schedule, not their desires, not their preference, but your love. God, I pray that lives would be changed because of the seeds that we plant this week. I pray that conversations would happen because of actions that students take this week. I pray that we would not hold back in our faith because love requires for us to get messy and inconvenient and in places where no one else wants to go. It's in your name we pray.